0: The yeshiva.net.
1: Okay, everybody, welcome tonight to the show. Tonight is our 15th program that we're doing, Baruch Hashem. This platform is exploding. As you can see, Baruch Hashem, we brought the best of the best tonight. We brought out the, the double the double guns over here, and we're going to rock it up tonight. Um, again, I want to tell everybody, it's an open platform. Uh, this has been advertised all over. So don't forget, there's people from all walks of life here, some 613, some not. And uh, let's keep that in mind. Um, I want to first start off. Uh, thanking our advertising sponsors tonight. I'd like to thank the Lakewood Scoop for always promoting us over here in Lakewood and pushing the program so strong and bringing the crowd in. I want to thank Robbie and Yaniv from Chazak um, who always have been uh, very behind us and helping the program grow. Again, from children to teens, singles, couples, millennials, baby boomers, from all the charity seniors, Chazak offers programming for all. For more information to be part of it, please go to Chazak.com. I'd give a special thank you to Mrs. Mika Sofer for promoting us on CLL Live. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And uh, again, this program, again, really exploded. We have a lot of uh, big people coming on the next few weeks, and we hope to really cover some ground and give them some chizik. Let's start off first with our host, Coach Menachem, to open up with uh, a few words.
2: Thank you. Okay, welcome, everyone. I see there's a big crowd, and I want to tell the Oilem again, there's a lot of seats up front, so the Oilem could come in. You don't have to stand by the door. So welcome again. Here we are, Baruch Hashem, another Sunday night on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem's show. And the truth is, tonight's topic evoked many questions by the Oilam. The topic is, if everything is so beautiful on the outside, why are we so miserable on the inside? So the questions that came in, first of all, who said everything is so beautiful on the outside? Yeah, you're talking about from the Khorb base Based Amigdash until COVID. Until it's going, and everything in between. And then there were those who said um, miserable. Who said I'm miserable? <laughs> you would probably uh many people didn't show up tonight because they felt tonight is not for them, because they're not miserable. And for those who did show up and don't feel you don't have to feel so miserable, but if you have the Simcha Zachaim that we're looking for, maybe you'll share with us soon a little bit of some tips of how you do it. Other questions came in is, what's this outside and inside? What's this thing of inside, feeling, or outside? And um, how about Simcha Zachaim in the three weeks? How does that go together? I think we have a lot to discuss tonight, Mr. Rabbi Jacobson. I'm very excited to have you on tonight to help us out. I think we have um, a lot. We hopefully we'll be able to put it in, in a few minutes because that's all we have tonight is a few minutes.
1: Okay, let me start with the introductions over here. I want to say first of all, uh, I just got a text that somebody in Lakewood is really not feeling well. This should be partially a for a young woman in Lakewood in critical condition. Khana Fega Bas should have a bigger Tonight, our sponsor is my cousin, Rabbi Achmiel, and Rivka Jacobson for sponsoring the program tonight. It's the Il Nishmas. It's very interesting how this program came about. Um, it's Il Nishmas, his brother, who was just nifted during COVID, and it's my cousin. And it's actually Rabbi Waiva's cousin. We're not related, but we share a cousin. And I reached out to Rabbi Waiva. I said, let's make a sheer Il nishmas, our cousin, who was just nifted during COVID. And um, it's a big honor that we did it together, and it should be a massive schutz uh, for his neshama. And that's one i talk about him for a second. Um, Shlomi, I haven't been his roommate for a few years. He was a very young boy. He was a tzaddik. He always went to learn, and I was always impressed with him. And um, many years ago, he had a, a traumatic brain injury. And um, he lived very, very hard years. And my aunt, also, was sheer aunt, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Jacobson and me, Tante Feggy Jacobson, who's a real tzaddikus, who really gave Shlemy, uh 18 years plus of. Chaim and beauty, even though it was tremendous hard to take care of such a person, and he was a real special person. And as the Shemesh, I have a massive Aliyah for tonight. Um, I want to first say also thank you, YY, for coming tonight. And anybody who doesn't know who YY is, I'm going to give him a little intro so not everybody knows who you are. Maybe, you know, people here say, Who's YY? So we'll break it down for him. But YY, uh, JJ. Mother in law is listening. Yes, yes. Mother in law, father in law, send more not send more, send more, uh, guilt. One of America's premier Jewish thinkers and leaders, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, Jesse of Jacobson, is one of the most sought-after speakers in the Jewish world today. He serves as a mentor to hundreds of thousands across the globe and is considered one of the most passionate and mesmerizing communicators of the Torah and in today's generation. During the coronavirus pandemic, he presented hundreds of classes and lectures to every demographic of the Jewish community worldwide, offering inspiration and perspective. His video clips of Chizik went viral, reaching millions of people. Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson was... The first rabbi ever to be invited by the Pentagon to deliver a religious keynote to the U.S. military chief of captains, and National Security Agency. Over the last 20 years, Rabbi Jacobson traveled to hundreds of communities, shuls, schools, yeshivas, and universities across the globe, educating and inspiring people of all backgrounds with the majestic depth of Torah and Yiddishkeit. Rabbi Jacobson founded and serves as dean of the Yeshiva.net, teaching via the web one of the largest Torah classes in the world today with thousands of students globally. Born in 1972 in Brooklyn, New York, Rabbi Jacobson grew up at the feet of the L'Bav T'Shoreba, Zegh absorbing his teaching and writing in 1988. At the age of 15, a young Jacobson began serving as a small team of oral scribes and human tape recorders. You're recording this now, right? In your head. They were charged with memorizing and transcribing three to seven hours of talks by the L'Bav T'Shoreba of Blessed Memory, which were presented on Shabbat and Jewish holidays when recorded devices were used. Rabbi Jacobson, please
3: open up. When recording devices are not used. Thank you very, very much, my dear Mechutin. Thank you very much, Coach Menachem. It's a privilege and thrilling schus and opportunity to be here with you and so many hundreds and hundreds of Jews who are here live and those who will watch it afterwards. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the opportunity. Allow me to begin with an anecdote. Somebody once asked his friend, and he said, what do you say about worrying? I'm always worried, always worried. So he said, you know, worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. You ever sat in a rocking chair? It keeps you busy, but it gets you you nowhere. There is a lot of anxiety in people. I think we all know it from our own lives and people who are close to us—loved ones, family, friends, community members—and it's being spoken a lot. What, what do you, What's the motto of this show? Let's get real, right? Let's get real. We live in a generation where repression is not working anymore. Repressing problems is just—it's just ineffective. Maybe there were times that it was very effective. Muzak garnished, you don't say, you know, don't tell, don't say, and everything goes away, or at least it looks like it goes away. But in today's generation, that strategy is completely ineffective, at least with hundreds of thousands and millions of people, especially with the youth. And things are emerging. And part of what's emerging in so many people's life is a deep sense of discontentment, a lot of struggle, Trauma that sits in the body for many years. And people, you look at their lives. Otherwise, relatively, listen, everyone has challenges. We're in Gullus. Everybody knows life is not perfect and all of us suffer in one way or another. But relative to your grandparents, great-grandparents, it's like uh, unbelievable. Even with quarantine and even with COVID-19. And of course, not taking away or minimizing, God forbid, the tragedies, the deaths, the illness, people who are suffering, people who suffer, the grief and the sadness. Of course, we all know that, and I've extremely all of us have lost friends and Reb Asher mentioned cousins, relatives, neighbors, teachers, mentors, community members, and so forth. And yet, despite all of that, there's a lot to be thankful for. But people are so internally stressed and anxious. And I would like to share here, you know, very briefly before we open up to questions and answers and discussions and dialogue, which is our main topic, just a few brief points that I find empowering in my life and I think may be empowering in your life as well. A lot of what we're seeing today, at least the way I see it, maybe I'm wrong, is actually a blessing. The Navi Daniel says about the time of the Gula. In Machshava, in works of Machshavah, Musar, Hashkofa, Kabbalah, Chasidus, there is a concept called Birur. Birur, like in Shabbos, we have in Shulchan Aruch and Siman Shinyutes Hilchas Birur. Or those who are learning Masechet Shabbos already learned it. I and gimel, What's Birur? Birur means selecting, separating the good from the bad. What we're seeing now is that toxicity is emerging. It's very painful, but I think it's very positive. Because before the time of Gaula, the Rebbeinu Shalaylam gives us an opportunity to allow ourselves to extricate from our systems, from our personalities and from our communities, all the psylos the toxicity that comes from generations, intergenerational trauma, skeletons, demons, ghosts, anxiety, guilt, fear, narcissism, greed, brokenness, depression, melancholy, and other forms of deep mental, psychological, emotional, and spiritual challenges that sit in us either from our own lives or from many, many years and generations. And today it's emerging. mamish, it's coming to the fore, it's coming to the light. And many of us are scared, what's going on? It's happening with our kids, boys and girls from all communities and all demographics. I have this chus to address constantly. Children, youth, young adults, younger light, young men, young women, older people. From literally all communities in the Jewish world. And it's fascinating common denominator that these struggles really are everywhere. And things that 20, 30, 40 years ago, nobody even noticed. Everybody knew it's part of life, you move on. There's an intolerance for it. Whether it's corruption, whether it's hypocrisy, whether it's politics, whether it's abuse, whether it's trauma, whether, it, whether it's inner dishonesty, falsehood, the lack of MS. And it's all emerging. And you could say, Oige what's going on? Today's generation, Nebach, the good old days. Vaniyakoten oimer lavdafka. This is the generation... That's getting ready to be makabal pnei mashiach tzidkenu. So the rebbeinu shalom gives us an opportunity to be able to clean out the last psilos after thousands of years of Jewish history, the final era, the last inning, the makabipatish. We have to extricate from ourselves the little dysfunction and uh, and uh, toxicity and dirt and filth that still lay in our system, maybe not by our fault at all. And when it comes to the fore, don't get scared of it. It's an opportunity to deal with it. Things that are hidden, hidden infections you can't deal with. Infections that are exposed, gives us all an opportunity to once and for all confront it, deal with it, get rid of it, sometimes transform it, subdue it, but deal with it. There's an extraordinary teaching of the Balshemtiv. In Parsha's B'Shalach, Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people when they're standing at the Red Sea, overtaken by fear and dread, between the rock and the harbour, between the Egyptians and the Yamsuf. And Moshe says, isem es <laughs> as you see Egypt today, you will never see them again. You're not going back to Egypt. You won't see them again because the Jews wanted to go back. So the Mepharshim say, it's very repetitive language. He should say, don't worry, you're not going back to Egypt. He says, just like you see them today, I'm telling you, you're never going to see them again. Something is strange there. The Baal gave an incredible interpretation. You know why you're never going to see them again? Because you're ready to see them today. Because you're ready to look at them today, you can get them out of your system. You'll never have to see them again. If you're not ready to look at them today, you're going to see them again and again and again. Because if you repress it into your subconscious, it's going to reemerge and resurface in this way and that way and that way. It's going to ultimately emerge and hijack the conversation of your com- brain in one way or another. That's what happens when you repress things. If I'm ready to look at my mitzrayam, and what's Mitzrayim? Mitzrayim comes from the word Mitzarim, confinements, those things in my life that trap me, they imprison me, they make me miserable, they make me mediocre, they cause me untold agony, turmoil, confusion, uncertainty, depression, bad moods, anger, frustration. All these Mitzrayim's, these clippers, these shells that literally incarcerate me and abduct me. They abduct my life, my schedule, my mental space, my energy flow, and my simchas hachayim, my joy of life. If I'm ready to look at my Mitzrayim, then then you can actually quarantine Mitzrayim and it doesn't sit in your system and really doesn't sabotage you. So what he's teaching here is something that I find to be very profound, and that is, if you and I could really learn that I and you do not have to be afraid of any emotion, any emotion that you have, don't be afraid of it. Remember, you are bigger than it. Your soul is infinite. This is not a militia, it's not nice, you know, pop psychology words, trying to say nice things to people. It's the core of Judaism that a soul is a eleka mimal mamish. You are a manifestation of divine infinity in this world, just like your Creator. You are invincible. The Gemara says in Kiddushin Daf everybody knows Adam We are Shluchim of the in this world. You have the properties of the one who sent you. You are an ambassador of the divine. I could contain all the Egyptian forces inside of me because I'm larger than it. You're larger than it. And therefore, never be afraid or intimidated by any thought, by any craving, by any sensation, by any emotion. And when it comes up, watch it, observe it. Remember that it's not you. It's Mitzrayim inside of you. And also, this is critical. When you look at it, you could say, What, ask yourself, what is it coming to teach me? There's something, it's here to help me. It's here to bring awareness to my life. This is painful. This is not easy what I'm saying. It sounds nice, it's not so easy. This is real avoydus Hashem on a daily basis that I have to do, that we have to do. This is real avoydus Hashem, internalizing this. But when these things come up, and they come up by many of us, unless you're a robot or you're a worked out saint. I I don't know about you, I could say about me, they come up often. To be able to identify it, not to be afraid, not to run, you don't have to run anywhere. Don't be afraid to look at Mitzrayim. Because when you could look at Mitzrayim now, you will not be a victim of it. You will define it, instead of it defining you. Remember that your core is indestructible. It's confident, it's powerful, it's infinite. It's a manifestation, you are a manifestation of Hashem's light in this world. Each of us is an ambassador of love, light, hope, healing, empowerment, wisdom, authenticity, integrity, redemption. Every single person in their own unique way. And remember, everyone is an indispensable note in God's cosmic symphony. Each one, chayev adam Loimar. the Mishnah says in Sanhedrin, lamedches, bishvili nivra This is not yuhara, it's not some pompous, arrogant hubris of some see, suffering from narcissistic personality disorder. You come home and you tell your wife, the world was cre- created for me. Because she's also supposed to say, the world was created for me. That's a great marriage. You say the world was created for you, and I say the world was created for me. And then you go to therapy. The pshat is much deeper. We're talking about MS Lamita, teres MS. Chayi vadam loyma b'shvili means there's something about my life that nobody before me and nobody after me will be able to make the contribution that I have to make in order to change the world. And years before I was born, the script was written by the creator of the world that when the time, right time comes, you and I should be able to shine in our full glory and be able to bring our light to the world. And that means that when toxicity emerges, that's part of my light. It's here to help me reach my own inner gu'ula, my own inner state of redemption. Thank you for listening.
1: Thank you, Rabbi Jason. Beautiful opening. Um,
3: Did I stick to the 10 minutes? Did I stick to the 10 minutes? I stuck to the 10 minutes, I think, right? Not bad.
1: It's pretty impressive, I got to tell you. I was, I was concerned that the, the opening would take about two hours, but you really, not bad at all. Okay, uh, we have a bunch of live questions. This is the part of the program which makes it dynamic. We're asking everybody to turn on the cameras. Anybody who has live questions, please text me. The live questions go first. We got a tremendous amount of emails. Uh, Coach Menachem sent uh, already about 75 emails to us. So we're fully loaded with questions, but whoever wants to ask live, will go first. Um, we have one live, but I'm going to start with one question first. And then we'll go to the live questions and maybe we'll do a poll. Somebody, you know this before. Baruch Hashem, I have so much good in my life, but lately I'm feeling miserable. Life isn't feeling purposeful. I'm not finding the meaning in learning or davening or praying. Any tips to help me feel connected to Torah mitzvot? Thank you, Rabbi Jacobson.
3: Yes. It's, of course, hard to give, you know, an answer without knowing you individually and knowing a little more about your life. But I think we could share, I could share some general thoughts that may or may not apply, but at least could plant some seeds. I think I would suggest three things that may be helpful. The first thing is, it's important to have a person or people in your life with whom you are completely open. As the Mishnah puts it. Means that each of us needs to have people in our lives in whose presence we can think out loud. Somebody with whom you can really think out loud and means not be afraid of your vulnerability. To really share everything that's on your mind. Maybe it could be a professional, somebody who does it of a profession, or a confidant, but somebody you really trust, who's wise, who's perceptive, who's humble, and who cares for you. I think that may be very helpful for you to really have that type of relationship where you could beer everything, beer your soul and really share everything that's going on because we are ultimately subjective. We have so many blind spots. We have biases. We have so many fears. Just having that feedback from somebody who's outside of my own subjective orbit and didn't grow up with my traumas and dysfunction I think is extremely helpful. The second thing I would suggest to you is do you have a real relationship with Hashem? A real vulnerable relationship with your own neshama? We all learn, we learn Torah, we have shiurim, we davan, we go through the routines, but it's often just monotonous, like the Navi says, mitzvot sanashem alamodah. Can you spend time really cultivating your own very intimate relationship with Hashem on a daily basis, in terms of conversation, in terms of meditation, in terms of communication, And in terms of really finding God inside of you. Now you may need help with this and direction with this, but this is something that I think when you could find godliness within you, there is something eternal that you wake up to. You become part of the heartbeat of the cosmos. You become part of the divine symphony. You find your own infinite empowerment as a shliach of Hashem. And your heart beats in a different way. The third thing I would suggest to you is find a mission that you're passionate about. In life, every one of us is a makabal and a mashpia. We can't just take. We have to give. Find something and start doing it. It could be a small thing. Start giving. Whatever it is, It could be making a sheer, it could be making an organization, a website, helping people physically, financially, morally, emotionally, spiritually, religiously, be for younger people, older people, people you know, people you don't know. Get involved in something. Start. People will criticize you. (laughs) That's fine. All good things get criticized. Get feedback. Start a Zoom program, do something. Those are the three things I think are good to start with.
1: Okay, Rabbi Jacobson, now that you bring up this point, I want to take a poll. Let's see, what, let's see what the people we're dealing with. Let's take a poll, how people connect. One poll. Okay, everybody, please look at the screen. I would like everybody to answer. It's anonymous. We just want to get a little feeling from everybody. My connection with Hashem. I have a, what's, what's your connection with Hashem? I have a strong connection as option A. Every day is different. Sometimes you feel close. Sometimes you don't. Option C, I don't feel connected. Option D, I don't know what connection with Hashem means. Those are your four options. Please choose one of them. And the question number two is, how do you connect with Hashem? Robert Jacobson, look at this question. i Talking to Hashem, by doing mitzvahs, by doing the right thing. What's your method, how you feel connected with Hashem? All right, please answer the question again. I'll read it quickly again. My connection with Hashem is A, I have a strong connection. B, every day is different. C, I don't feel connected. D, I don't even know what a connection with Hashem means. Question number two, how do you connect, What's your connection with Hashem? Sorry, how do you connect with Hashem? Option A, davening. Option B, talking to Hashem. Option C, by doing mitzvahs. Option D, by doing the right thing. Five seconds. Wow. It's going to be interesting. Three, two, one. End it, chair. Look at this. My connection with Hashem 39% of people say I have a very strong connection with Hashem. 53% of people, every day is different, and I guess the other two really, uh, I don't feel connected, I guess they're not, they're not here tonight, so that's good, and I don't even know what Hashem, the connection with Hashem means is 2%. How do you connect, how do you connect with Hashem? 24% say davening, an overwhelming majority, 52% say talking with Hashem, that's the way they connect with Hashem, 8% by doing mitzvahs, 17% by doing the right thing. Interesting results, Rabbi Jacobson?
3: Yeah, fascinating.
1: See? We talk to Hashem. That's the way. That's the way people connect. Okay, let's take the first live question. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Hi. Yes. Hi. How are you?
4: I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. Um, basically, my question is that. A lot of times I feel frustrated and I feel upset. I guess it just days when I feel really bad and I'm in a really bad mood and I'm feeling very depressed and upset. And, like, I feel like I know in my head, like, I know in my heart I'm being, like, I'm not appreciating the good. I know that Koppoy is a very bad meet I know that, like, in, the, in, like, the desert, um, in the mid-bar, like, shawl, like, would complain and then they would have a plague and then, like, they would it would be, like, a very bad meet-on. Like, it would get in trouble for it and, like, it's very bad, complain and stuff like that. So I feel like... um. Is Hashem, like, upset at me when I'm, like, really upset? Like, is it, like, really, really bad that I'm being so kafaitov? Like, I just have to get over it? Like, it's just, like, a question. Like, is it also, like, I feel upset also at myself also because I'm being kafaitov. But, like, is I'm very upset at me because I'm being kafaitov? It's, like, you know what I mean? Like, that kind of thing.
3: Do you know what the name Panina means? Panina, you know what the name Panina stands for? You know what it means?
4: Um, yeah.
3: What? It means um, It means like pearl? A pearl, yeah. A very beautiful, dazzling diamond or pearl. Right. You know why you have that name? Because Hashem wants you to know, you know, a name is considered the channel of energy that's connected to your soul. Hashem wants you to know that you're a Pnina. You are always a pearl. When we're ungrateful and we're miserable... Does Hashem get upset at us? I want you to remember that Hashem loves, Hashem's love to you, the Baal Shem Tov said, that Hashem loves every Jew more than parents. Love an only child who was born when they were older and they already lost all hope of ever having a child. The doctor said they won't have and then they were gifted with a blessing of a child. One can only fathom the depth of the infinite love that the mother harbors to such a one child, not even a big family, but also the love is infinite. The Baal Shem Tov said even that doesn't capture the magnitude of the love that Hashem has to every single person. So whenever we talk about Hashem being upset at us and being angry at us and so forth, you always have to remember it. It's always in context of absolute, unconditional, infinite and limitless love. Hashem is your greatest fan He wants you to have the most beautiful, amazing, successful, joyous, awesome life. However, when I am miserable and I'm ungrateful, it's painful for Hashem, just like it would be painful for a good mother or a good father, to see that a child, instead of learning how to celebrate their life, their brain naturally goes to negative places. And that's what I would suggest to you. Watch what your brain does. Remember, you are not your thoughts. This is important in life. I am not my thoughts. Machshavas, it says in Tanya, thoughts are like clothes. I am not my (laughs) bekisha. I am not my tie. And sometimes my clothes get dirty, and I take them off, and I put on new clothes. And even if I can't take them off right now, because I'm in the middle of a Zoom chat... Right? Okay, but I know it's my clothes, it's not me. You are not your thoughts, and your thoughts are not you. When my thoughts say, my life is miserable, we right away say, I say life is miserable. You don't say it, your thoughts are saying it. Could you watch those thoughts? Don't judge them and don't scream at them, just watch them. And say, wow, you're really programmed to go to negative places. You know what? I'm going to try to direct my neural pathways to different places and focus on a different way of looking at life. And when you do this steadily, your brain, actually neuroscience, your brain will develop new neural pathways and you will find it much more natural and easy that to go in positive places because our brain develops literally like highways, tiny little neural pathways. We are Our thoughts just become constant and steady and it becomes like part of our habit. And when you really, freedom is a muscle, you know, lose it or use it or lose it. When you really observe it, then you know that you have the freedom to think about life differently. And your brain actually adjusts to a new way of thinking. So Hashem is not angry at you, I would say more Hashem is sad or or pained that you cannot celebrate yourself as the pearl which you really are.
1: Beautiful, Rabbi Jacobson, we're getting tons just of... I'm going to jump
3: in for a second.
1: So First, Rabbi is very,
2: very clear. And I would say for a beginner, if somebody has to work on removing themselves from their thoughts, which is not easy, but for a beginner, a good idea, which uh, many people have heard from me before, would be to f- spend at least five minutes a day. What should they do? Take a pen and paper... And write down all your negative thoughts. Just keep on going, all the negative thoughts. Do it for every day for a while, and look how it goes. The thoughts go back and forth. Write everything down. If something comes to your mind, put it down on the paper. So you're putting your thoughts on paper. And that could be easier, at least for beginners, to be able to remove themselves.
1: Okay, let's go to the next slide one. Here we go.
5: Rella? Hi, can I be heard?
1: Yes, loud and clear.
5: Hi, my name is Rella. Thank you, Rabbi Jacobson, for your sharing your wisdom. I find I've suffered many losses in my life, and I find that um, in the from communities, I love my community, I love being a Jew, I was raised in this community, I see the beauty of the community, but I find that it's unwelcome and un, uh, to, to express grief or sadness or anger or pain. I am constantly, I find, and even in schools, I'm a special educator, children are inundated with, smile, 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 a yid has to be happy, gamzulatova, have bitachon, have amuna. I find there isn't enough room for feelings. And in therapy, my therapist has said that trying to achieve spiritual heights and going to gamzulatova and going to bitachon and amuna from a place of pain is something she calls spiritual bypass. We're trying to get to the spiritual heights without experiencing the feelings. She's And in my 12-step programs, we're told, in order to heal it, you have to feel it. She says you have to do the hard work of feeling the pain and feeling the grief and mourning as long as you need to, and only then will come relief and a sense of clarity and a sense of peace and a sense of acceptance. It's kind of like the five stages of acceptance from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. You have to have anger and denial and bargaining and grief before one can reach acceptance. And I find that this is not... I find there's almost no permission for anyone to grieve. A child falls down, you're okay, we move on. I think that that's painful and unhealthy, and and I struggle with it, and I find many other people struggle with it as well, and I wanted to hear your thoughts about that.
3: I'm going to share with you a personal experience I had. It was around a year or two ago, I was invited Matsai Shabbos to come to a Kumsitz in Pomona, which is a neighborhood near Munsi, close to where I live, with teenagers. These were what you would call struggling teenagers. They were in a particular yeshiva that tried to accommodate them. There were around 40 of them. And they came here for the weekend, and they were sitting around a fire pit with guitars, drums, some other instruments, roasting marshmallows, Eating hot dogs, burgers, spear ribs, and uh, enjoying a nice kumzitz, singing songs, and sharing in camaraderie and love. It was a very nice energy. I was invited to come, you know, fabring with them, as we say. So I sat down near the fire. I shared some words. We sang. I shared. In the middle of one of the songs, I'll, I'll, I'll always remember this moment. A boy comes over to me he puts his chair right near me, and he puts his hand on my shoulders, like this, you know, like the camp, and camp when you sit by bonfires. As I... And he says these words, Rabbi, why, why? Why did my mother die? I didn't expect this. I looked at him. I said, I'm sorry, when did she die? He said, when I was 11 years old, Nine years ago, I was 11 years old. We had a family of 11, 11 children. I was close to the top. There were many younger than I am. She got cancer. She was, lived, we lived in London and she passed away. A young girl, a young lady in her 40s, low 40s, tell me, why did my mother die? I was so close to my mother. I loved her. She loved me. She was such a good mother. Why did she die? I looked at him, my hand went on his, hand, on his shoulder. And I said, I don't know why your mother died. I am so, so, so sorry, I don't know. He says, come on, tell me why. Why did she have to die? And I said, I really, really don't know. And I would love to be here with you. And it must be so painful. Nine years later you talk about it. And I can't give you an answer, but you know what? I could sing with you, I can cry with you, I could listen to you. And he started to cry, and I started to cry, and we sang together. He didn't say a word. I don't know, maybe 20 minutes later, he turns to me in tears with, with tears in his eyes, and he says, you know, you're the first one from dozens of people who said that they don't know. And this was the answer I have been waiting for. For almost a decade. I said, what do you mean this is the answer? He says, I went to so many people. And everybody, he said, with good intentions. Try to explain to me some reason. Aneshama, Gilgul, Aganeidin, Akapora, Karbana, Ameisa, Atik. You know, we're good with explanations. He said, and it drove me mad. It was so insensitive to my experience, even if they meant well. He says, you were the first one to say, I don't know, but I can cry with you. And I realized at that moment how transformative that was for this boy. And indeed, indeed, I have to say, this kid not only turned his life around, he became a powerhouse today a powerhouse of inspiration, of, of love for so many other people. So I think, really, to put it in perspective, you have to understand, Jews have been through so much that often they emphasize the idea of putting one foot in front of another foot and moving on. And at times, it may have saved us and saved people not to uh, wallow in the quagmire of the spear. But I am in complete agreement with you that there's absolutely no reason to deprive people from the permission of experiencing their feelings and being in touch with their feelings and that it's completely not a contradiction to Amunah and b'tochen. People are afraid, and I think it's a misconception, that if they say, I'm in pain, I'm in horrible pain, it means they don't believe in Hashem. It means they don't have b'tochen in Hashem. If you believe in Hashem, you should start dancing. You should start dancing. But I say, no, no, there were, there are people on that level, there's no question, no question of people on that level. But and Hashem also means, Hashem wants me to experience this emotion right now. This is part of emunin Hashem, this is part of my relationship with life. Mikabel Yisurim Ba'ava, people translate means, you have to say, it's rosy and dandy and it's amazing. Were there people like that? Or people who lived on that plane? I could tell you stories, but it's not relevant. It's not so relevant right now. But wherever you are, that's where your relationship with Hashem has to be. I cannot feign and I cannot copy people. This idea of copying other people... In a fictional way is just—it's not real. It's not real spirituality. It's not a real relation. Real religion is about being authentic, being raw, being vulnerable. Sometimes Kabul yisurim ba'ava, which is a big ideal in Judaism, means to accept, to accept with sincerity and love that this pain is part of my journey. This is what God wants for me at this moment.
1: Okay. Coach Rafa, you want to jump in? You, want to, you ready for the next
6: one? Ready. Okay. Olga, you're on. Yes. Hi. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I'm a very big fan of yours. I wanted to ask you um, I was one of the very first cases of, of the COVID virus in my city, and it, I went through a very difficult ordeal because I was two weeks. Um, in the intensive care unit, and I had uh, it was very dangerous. And um, one week in in therapy, and I got home like a few months ago. I've been recuperating. I was on oxygen and in a wheelchair. It was like a very shocking experience for me. So my question to you would be: I've, I've always been a very positive person. I feel always very close to Hashem, but now I just can't seem to get over it. It was. It was too difficult of an experience. I don't know what happened, but I, I'm very grateful to Hashem that I, I survived this. I was it was very dangerous, but. I can't seem to feel simcha or be, or be happy. I'm, I'm very depressed. I'm very scared all the time. Like, more than depressed even, I'm very uh, nervous and scared. So I wanted to ask you if you have any suggestions for me. And I, I also feel, like, upset with myself because I, should be, I, I am grateful to Hashem, but I just can't get over the experience. It was very difficult. So what would you suggest?
3: Yeah. First of all, I'm not an expert, but I would say, you know, there may be trauma sitting in your body from this experience. So it may be... it Yes, so first of all, I think you need guidance from somebody who can help you. How do you release the trauma? Maybe there's different forms of exercises, different forms of therapies, different forms of massages, different forms of meditations, of mindfulness, of of different exercises, hiking or other things, dancing. I have different professionals who can really help the body release a lot of this trauma, maybe some form of PTSD. So that's number one. That would be extremely helpful. You probably have a lot sitting in there that you need to, you need to express. You need to grieve. You need to let it out. You need to sob a little bit. I think a lot has to be extricated and spit out and don't be afraid of doing it because it's now trapping you and you really have to give it the freedom, acknowledge it and give it the freedom. So that's number one. In addition to that, and not excluding that, in addition to that, I would just say it would be worthwhile every day to make a call to two or three people who are either, who are either sick with COVID-19 or they have a family member who is sick or may still be sick just to share with them that you're thinking about them and you want to bless them and you want to know if they want, if they need something. Um, I have myself in the early stages of corona, I have a friend, she heads an organization for sick people, and I asked her to send me in, every few days, lists of people who were struggling themselves, or their family members were struggling. And I just called them out of the blue. Some of them thought it was fictional, it was like a recording. So they're like waiting for the recording to end. (laughs) And then I'm like, no, it's real. And I found, not only was it a great chizuk for them, it was a great chizuk for me because when you get the feedback of how you help other people, it puts you in a different place. And I think since you have been through so much, you're in a unique ability, even though you're still down and you have your own challenges. Every day, call one, two, three people, tell them a joke, say you're davening for them, ask them how they are. Maybe it could be strangers, it could be relatives, it could be old friends, it could be people, classmates you didn't speak to in 29 years. But I think those two things may be very helpful.
1: Coach, Menachem, you want to jump on this one? Are you muted? Menachem, are you you're you're there?
2: Yeah, 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 Very clear.
1: Good. Okay. It's very interesting because we have a question exactly the opposite, of J. because I want to flip it around. You ready? I feel connected to Hashem when I'm in serious and almost in a bad mood of going through a rough time. That's yeah. when I feel really connected to Hashem. When I'm yeah. happy, I almost have a guilty feeling I shouldn't be feeling yeah. this way. Exactly the
3: opposite. Yes, that's part of the Jewish trauma. You're not allowed to be happy. You got to be you gotta miserable. Be you, be sad. you don't know what to be. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's almost like when I'm in pain, you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, life is miserable, wonderful. I could feel Jewish, but uh, so so this is really, I think, something we have to work on. Um, here's here's a good way of saying it, Rabbi Yaakov atsal. atzal, and before him, the Ostrof Tzerebbe, Schuseyagin the holy Ostrov Tzerebbe, who was one generation earlier, passed away in the 1920s. They both share a fascinating comment. What did Yaakov learn for 14 years in the Yeshiva of Shemanever? What did he learn for 14 years that he did not learn by Yitzchok and by Avram? He was 15 years by Avram. He was 63 years by Yitzchak. What did he learn by Shem and Neighbor that Yitzchak and Avram couldn't teach him? He had to go learn the Briska derech, the Galician derech, the Polish derech, the Ungarish derech. What did he learn over there, the Litvish derech? What did he learn there 14 years that he couldn't hear from Yitzchak? And Rabbi Yaakov writes, and the Rebbe writes in different words, he he knew Tyrus Eretz Yisrael. By shame and neighbor, he learned Torahs He knew how to be a Jew in Eretz Yisrael. How? Whoops! How do you be a Jew in Gallus? That's a different art. How do you live by Lavan? Ah, quintessential crook. Ah, debased liar and thug. How do you remain Ayakai Avinu twenty years by Lavan? That's a different Torah. <laughs> he had to go fourteen years learn what they call Torahs if I may, I want to spin that and say, for 2,000 years, we have mastered Tairos HaGolos. We know unbelievably well how to be Jews and Golos. And now, I think history is summoning us to learn Tairos Haguula, to prepare for Gula. What does it mean to be a Gula Jew, not a Golos Jew? I know how to krechz and sigh and go, Oy vei Yiddish etzores. Oy ve oy, 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 oy. Do I know how to dance and say, Ashrayinu matoiv chelkeinu, Manoyim goyro leinu, mayofo yirushaseinu. There comes a time in history where Hashem says, I want you to prepare yourself to celebrate redemption to celebrate an expansive consciousness, to see yourself as a divine powerhouse who can change the world. If a sneeze in Wuhan, China, literally, a sneeze in Wuhan, China, can literally change the world, this whole Zoom chat right now is because somebody sneezed in Wuhan, right? Together with everything else that was affected and 7.7... Somebody sneezed, and this, by the way, they're not blaming Israel about this. Baruch Hashem, even the UN did not blame Israel for the corona, which is also a miracle. China, not Israel, okay? The Jews are not guilty. One thing in history that we're not guilty. Because global warming, the oil spill in Mexico, 9-11 is Israel. But this is not Israel. Fakert. Israel reacted swift and wisely. What the power of a person is. So I think today is a time where it's important to work on this. And say, you know, when you get up and you're feeling good, you're feeling empowered, you're feeling optimistic, you're feeling confident. This is not the antithesis of Judaism. We're preparing for a time when the world will be filled with eternal joy. The Navi says, Simchas Olam al and the preparation is that already now, the Jewish people should celebrate life as a Jew. Celebrate your life as an ambassador of Hashem. Celebrate your blessings. Dance to the beat of life.
1: But well, Jason, my, 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 my text box is blowing up over here. I'm trying to, let's, let's try to keep up the pace over here. I'm trying to keep up with everybody. Okay, let's take the next live one. You ready? Cookie, you're on.
4: Thank you. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. Thank you for taking my question. Um, I oh, have well. always, I've always found it really difficult to talk to Hashem, whether it's using a, the words that are in the sitter or just talking as myself. And I feel like I have no, I, I have no place to be doing that. That I've done so many things wrong in my life. That what right do I have to come and talk to Hashem or ask him for things? And then there's also this element of, of fear that like, don't open your mouth and call attention to yourself because then he'll realize, wait a minute, there's someone here who, who hasn't really been doing so great. like And I, so I guess I want to know how can I repair what I call this dysfunctional non-relationship with Hashem?
3: Excellent question. Beautiful question. I don't know your relationship with your parents because I don't know your parents. I also don't know you. But imagine you have the most functional, loving, healthy father and mother in the world. I don't know that you do, but I certainly hope you do. But imagine you have such a father and mother, and for whatever reason, because of your own struggles, you haven't been on speaking terms with your mother for 10 years, for 15 years, for 20 years, for 6 years, for 7 years, and you feel you made a lot of mistakes. What do you think your mother would crave more than anything else? That you say to yourself, oh, my mother probably hates me, I'll never call her again, let me just excommunicate her and get rid of her. Or, if it's a real, healthy, functional, loving mother, every day and every night she waits for the telephone call. You know the answer. If this is true with a human mother, how much more so is it true with somebody who conceived you in love and who loves you in the most infinite way, like only a God, a creator, can love because he's infinite. Never ever think of guilt and mistakes in terms of if I show up, Hashem is gonna say, Oh, this chutzpah, this young woman, <laughs> chutzpah to call me. Hashem celebrates every time you pick up the phone or you send a WhatsApp to God, or actually God doesn't need WhatsApps, so you can talk directly. It's celebrated. He loves it, he cherishes it, he misses you. Why do you think Chazal made three Tfillas a day? Shachris, Minchemidiv. They didn't know that Jews are busy. They wanted to make everybody meshuga, Shachrus, Minchem, Ayed of non-stop. The answer is because they knew how much it means not only to us, how much it means to Hashem. It's like when you have a great marriage. A great marriage therapist once told me, he's one of the best in Munsi. He saved a lot of marriages. And he told me something very profound. He said, you know, a good marriage, every three hours, husband and wife connect. Every three hours, I love you, I'm thinking about you, how was your day, what's going on, do you need an iced coffee, do you want a latte, you want to take a walk. Every three hours they connect. And he said if you don't connect every three hours, you start drifting away. It's just that at night, you could make up and compensate for the fact that you didn't connect for the last six, nine, ten hours. He said after a few days, if you haven't connected, it's, it's going down south. Because when you have such a deep relationship, it has to constantly be maintained and connected and, 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 and strengthened. And that's why tefillah is so often, it's not just they wanted to impose more pressure on Jews. It was a timeless opportunity for people in the middle of the anxiety and stress of the day to say, Hashem is, so to speak, going to stop everything. And he says, I want to hear what's going on in your life, what's going on in your soul. The fact that you have had difficult years and you made more mistakes is only a reason that he wants to hear from you even more. He wants to be here for you even more. So every feeling of guilt that you have should be turned around into a springboard for saying, you're not evil, essentially. God never excommunicates a Jew. You're his child forever and ever. So he wants that close relationship. And if there's things to fix on the contrary he wants to help empower you to fix anything you have done never see yourself as this lost soul who's just banned that attitude is coming from the Yetzirah and must never be embraced as a way of life
1: are you ready for the next one we got, we got you loaded Reverend Jacobson. we'll finish what we made up at 230 right <laughs> let's go next one yeti you're on
7: Oh, Yvette, hi. Oh, <laughs> yes, how are you? Uh, Robert Jacobson, we met you at um, Shabbaton in Wisconsin. We are from Wisconsin, but we are originally from Lima, Peru. We are the Jerubians. And always something that has puzzled me. It's a, Since I am seven years old, I'm extremely happy. And I think I taught myself to be happy in the most amazing way, so... People always look at me and say, what are you taking? You cannot be for real. And I am for real. So I came up with a description that I, I have learned to manage my emotions. But I just wanted to know, you think this is a gift that I was given when since I'm seven years old? I mean, and I had tragedies. But I always look at the very positive way. So I just wanted your comment. Could it be, I mean, people have said that I am in denial, you know, and I am not. <laughs> I am not. But I just wanted your opinion.
3: It's It's a beautiful gift, cherish it. Some people have this gift, whether it's genetic, it's disposition, nature, perhaps nurture, perhaps a combination of both, certain attitudes, perspectives, the way our brain functions. It's a special divine gift. Enjoy it, celebrate it, and share it with others. I
7: do. Thank you.
2: Do you uh, just want to add, do you find sometimes when you speak to people, they walk away? <laughs> so,
7: yeah. No, actually, uh, no, I mean, I think there is an art. It, it is an art, you know, that you can make yourself happy. I think it has to do with the brain, but I am an incredible, I mean, I believe in Hashem and yeah, wow. But I really think uh, people sometimes think that I, not like crazy but very different because i'm always happy i mean i'm not laughing but i, I see uh, life with a different uh, glasses and i'm glad to hear that you're saying that there are people like me
2: <laughs> so maybe yeah, you yeah, can, yeah. maybe you can maybe share you with us to start
3: doing a workshop in lakewood <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs>
2: Maybe you can share with us, what do you do when you went through these, these painful situations? How did, how did you go through it?
7: Oh, for, for instance, I, um, I come from a very achiever family, 4.0. Husband is a doctor, old. Everybody's super achiever. And I gave birth to a child with special needs, something that I never expected in my life. So I just said, okay, this is how it's going to be. And I look for everything that is the best for her. And I am never ashamed or anything. I actually make a shine and I just see life in a very positive way. Then you you don't suffer because this is what is given to you and you just have to deal with.
3: You wow. embraced it. You embraced it. Wow. Yes. wow.
7: Embraced it, yes.
3: You embraced yes. your life. That's amazing. I can
7: share well, with everybody. Yeah, no, but I'm just saying I just wanna know that I'm normal.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're very you're very, very normal.
7: Yeah. And coming uh, if from you, you want
3: I'll sign if you want I'll sign a paper. <laughs> you could show it you could show it to people. Okay. I let's will go.
7: No, yes. Thank you.
3: God bless Thank you. God bless you. You should always have what to be happy about yeah. in a revealed way. Shouldn't be hard.
1: Okay, let's go. We got so many more. Let's go. Let's go. Yosef,
3: you're next. Hi, Hi, Jacobson
8: My name is Yosef. Um I'm someone that works in That's sales. That's a Jewish
3: name? Yosef is a Jewish name?
8: <laughs> yes. I work in sales, and part of the, my success in being able to bring parnas par- to my family is by my connecting to the energy around me with uh, feeling the chain of others and the chain of myself. And my question is, You say Hashem loves us all unconditionally. How do I – I went to litvish yeshivas. I grew up in a family, had a little touch of heimishkeit, Shabbos meals and things like that. So I'm aware that there's a breast of mahalach that thinks that there's a lot going on. There's a lot of doors and gates and things like that. My question is, how much do I need to understand in order to, those days that things are not going well, things are not turning into gold and things are frozen, to get by in those days or to understand those days, do I need to be, can I just think like, like you're saying Hashem loves us and that's it and let it go, or there are things going on and there are ways to get by obstacles.
3: Yeah. It's a great question. If you'll allow me just to make a little correction, you introduced yourself as bacher who went to Litvish Yeshivas, etc. The idea of Hashem Loves Us has no difference if you went to Litvish Yeshivas or you went to Galitziana Yeshivas, if you went to Chesidosh Yeshivas or you went to Breslava Yeshivas. I believe that every single Jew, no matter if you're Litvak or a Chassid, says every single day, avas oilam a'aftonu, and if you're an ashkenaz, if you're ashkenaz, it's even stronger, Rab. and haboi chebami yisrael ba'avah, and avas oilam beis yisrael amcha hafta, and, uh, anachno amcha bnevid yisecha, adas yaakov bin chashem mea avos chashem hafta oisoi, umisim chos samachta boy karosseshmo yisrael and, uh, hafti eschem omer hashem, and, Hashem and, B'ni Yisrael, and, Hashem These are verses in the Hebrew Bible known as the Tanakh with the same nusach for Litvish yeshivas and for chsidashi yeshivas and for all Jews. I just want to emphasize this because this is something that is connected and relevant to each and every one of us no matter our background and no matter, no matter what type of nusach we daven and no matter where we grew up. I was once giving a share about this. So somebody says, "I think this emphasis on love is your chiddush." So I asked him. I said, "You know, before Kriyas which is a mitzvah we do every day, Achdus Hashem Shma Yisrael, the Chachamim actually made two brachas. The second bracha starts with the word love. How many times does the word love say in that bracha?" So even though he's been davening for sixty-eight years, he didn't know the answer. I said, "Don't go take a sitter and count. You'll be surprised. If I'm not mistaken." It says seven times love in that bracha. And it's sandwiched. Avas and the last words, Yisrael baava and in middle there's another five times love before you could say Shma Yisrael Hashem Because I think it's so fundamental to Judaism to be able to have a relationship with Hashem that comes from a place of positivity, of celebration not from a place of guilt and negativity and he's about to punish me and he's, I'm going to burn and, and I'm bad and I'm evil and he hates me and he's upset with me. If I have to fix things, I fix things. But the foundation is always one of Ahavas, Olam, Ahavtonu, Hashem It's eternal and timeless and unconditional. And I think throughout all of our situations in life, sometimes we don't understand things. This is not an explanation. Sometimes things are difficult. And the vicissitudes of life take us to places that we don't always want and we don't always expect. And there's pain and there's grief and there are tears and there's sweat and there's blood. But we have to be able to know that throughout all of it, there's meaning, there's purpose. God loves me. I may not see it. I may feel completely... That I'm in the dark. I'm confused and I, I don't know why. And that's part of my relationship. That's also part of my relationship. But I should never question the fact that there is a powerful and beautiful and amazing relationship. And it's not just one way. It's always two ways. And God is waiting for that reciprocity. In terms of the details, listen, you know, I don't know your background or what you're involved in. It is always good to add and learn Svarim that help us navigate challenges and isyonis and Taivas and different Aliyas and It is good to have a Kvius in such Svarim because they give Chizuk and they give inspiration and they help us not only just say Hashem loves me, but really to be able to look at situations and see them from a uh, more meaningful and uh, and positive, positive place.
1: Okay, Robert Jacobson, this person really wanted to ask, but they asked me to ask. It was too emotional to ask the question, so I'm going to ask it for them. I'm going to, I'm going to ask their question, but let's try to generalize it because it's, it's their specific sorrow. But we, No we, problem in I feel connected to Hashem, but when I remind myself that my father just passed away, we weren't able to go to him in the last minutes. It's really hard. He passed away during COVID. How do I accept that? Now, again, that's for his situation. But when a person goes through a tremendous sorrow, they lose a parent, they... They go through a divorce, they they lose their business, they feel so hurt, they love Hashem, they're always connected, but the the, the pain is so real, it's so yeah. overbearing.
3: How do we reconnect? Very important question. Don't try to wrap your brain around it. Create space for mystery. Create space for the fact that I don't always have the ability to figure out why. What's the purpose? What's the reason? Why would a good God want this? Don't reduce it to an intellectual mathematical equation. It gets us nowhere. People make that mistake of trying to make it fit into my brain. God is infinite. Infinity means that my brain cannot contain it. Some of these things in life my brain could contain and appreciate because Hashem filters it through my brain. But sometimes we face realities in life like the one you just mentioned about the last moments of your father that are unfathomable. Why did he have to go through that? He probably went through life a lot. In his last moments he couldn't be surrounded by people. And a lot of other horror stories that came from the corridors of hospitals and are coming out now and already came out during Pesach time, before Pesach, in the middle of Pesach, after Pesach, Probably many people you know, some people I know, and people who were saved the last moment because they actually didn't obey protocol. And all these questions are, are amazing questions. But I think we will not help ourselves or their souls by trying to wrap our brains around. It. Except the fact that there are things in life that are completely mysterious. And when you are standing in the presence of such pain, you're facing the infinite mystery of Hashem that transcends my rational brain. And you know what? I don't have to figure it out. And I could say that. I can't figure this out. This does not make sense to me. Don't force it into your brain. Be humble and surrender to the vulnerability of the pain. Be raw. Be real. Be honest. Be authentic. Just like Avram Avinu screamed, Ashaifat Chalaritz Leyasa Mishpat. And Moshe Moshe Rabbeinu screamed, Ma And Yirmiyah Navi screamed, "Madua And they were great, Ma'aminim. They were the greatest of the great. Moshe Avram Yirmiyah. These are greatest of the great. But they experienced the pain of Klal Yisrael, and they expressed the Tashem in very raw terms. They didn't say, "Oh, it's good. It's very good." I don't get it. I don't see it. And these are even those people. And in a way, when we try to minimize it and fit it into our brain, you know what we do? We deprive ourselves from a relationship with Hashem at that moment. Because a relationship with Hashem means a relationship with reality. And if the reality is really painful and mysterious and unfathomable, it's in that pain where we're going to find truth. Not by minimizing it and running away from it. And it's not a contradiction to Emunah. Emunah means Hashem has some plan, some meaning here, some purpose here, but you know what? For me, it really, really hurts. And I could remain in that place and know that that's part of the journey where God where God wanted me. I remember I was sitting shiva for my father. Rabbi Asher, you remember my father? Yes, the Al-Gamane He was a character. He died at the age of 70. He was a diabetic. And he was a good man. He was an interesting person. And uh, very, he was a great personality, a figure, fearless. He was a warrior for truth. and you know, An interesting man. He died. I was sitting shiva with my siblings and my mother's, mother. And I'll never forget. Somebody came to visit me. And he said to me words that were so meaningful. And I want to share them with you. He said to me, you know, when you lose a father, a ditch opens up in your heart. And he says, it's mamish like somebody digs a ditch in your dining room. And every time you walk from your living room to your kitchen through the dining room, you fall into the hole every single time again and again and again. After a while, you realize there's a ditch. The ditch doesn't go away, but you just learn to walk around it. You see it and you walk around it. But once in a while, you forget and you fall in again. And he said... When your father passes away or somebody very close, a hole opens up in your heart. And for the first seven days and weeks and months, every time you walk by, boom, you're going to be there again. And he says, when time passes, the ditch doesn't go away. You just learn to walk around it. You watch it, you know it very well. But you walk around it, you don't fall in. But once in a while, you forget and you go right into that ditch. It was such an authentic expression of life. You know, people say, oh, time will pass, you'll forget. No, no, you move on. You learn to walk around it. Not every time do you fall into that. But that's why Avelis is for a year. It's not cruel. Halacha understood that these transitions are so traumatic and so powerful to watch the earth swallow up a loved one is not an easy transition. You don't say, let's just go back to life. Avelis is for twelve months in halacha because it takes twelve months to recalibrate your brain and really adjust to a very, very new reality. And I remember my nephew. We were standing outside after that night. After you know, people come till two in the morning. One guy thought it was a sholom zocher, so he came two in the morning. He thought it was a sholom zocher. In any case, so we go outside and I tell my nephew, my brother's son. I say, you know, it's the end of an era. And I was crying, and he says, yes. And it's also the beginning of a new one. And it was very comforting words because the end of an era is very sad. But we have to choose if it's the beginning of a new one. And I would also mention one more thing. Everything is bahashgacha. People were upset that their parents did not have levayas, normal levayas, hespedim. No shiva calls besides Zoom. People didn't say Kaddish. People couldn't daven. And people really feel bad. I, I got a lot of calls and a lot of emails from Aveilam. They were grieving for the fact that they couldn't even grieve. There were people who sat shiva themselves, mamish themselves, if they didn't have bigger families. I have a close friend I grew up with. His father died. He lives in Toulouse, France. He couldn't even come to the funeral. He had to sit shiva without a minion, without kaddish garnish. Before Pesach, he made a half a minion illegal, whatever, just to say one kaddish for his father. But it's important to remember something. Every neshama gets exactly what it needs in order to be able to be escorted to the next world. So sometimes, even if in this world, it doesn't look like there were people and the Levaya and Hevrikadisha and abe Sakvaris and Achash of Levaya, every soul is accompanied by exactly those who have to be there to be able to take care and bring this neshama to where it has to be. My cousin Shloyma Eyleib died. Usher's cousin, my cousin, Jacobson, and Shloyma Ben Jacobson, for whom this, this evening's uh, Zoom uh, Fabrengen is dedicated to. He was very ill for many years. And his mother called me in the middle of Shiva, my aunt, Fagi Jacobson. And she was crying. She took care of this kid because they declared him dead years ago when he was 15. He had an aneurysm, they declared him dead. And she literally took him to every Simcha and every Bris and every Pidyanaben. She infused him with life and gave him dignity. And she tells me, she tells me, why, why? She says, I couldn't even be there at his death. I couldn't be there at his death. And, and she couldn't forgive herself. It wasn't her fault. It was COVID-19. And I said something that just came from my heart. And it was so meaningful to her. I said, Feige, you weren't there. But when his Nishama went out, his father, who was already in Isla his father came to greet him. His Zayda, my Zayda, his father's father, psim and Ashvili, who was exiled to the gulag for 25 years for spreading Yiddishkeit in Stalin's cursed Soviet Union and died a young man. He said, my Zayda came to greet him. My Baba came to greet him. What do you think? You were in there. But all these neshamas came from Olam Ha'emmes to greet the soul. Don't worry about your son. You took care of him here and now let your husband take care of him there. And it was very meaningful for her because it means there's a picture that sometimes we don't see. So it's just important also to take that into consideration.
1: Okay, Robert Jacobson, let's go. We got a lot more. Rivki, you're on? Yep. Hi, how are you?
9: Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for taking my question. I'm watching as all these people are leaving and I was hoping the numbers would dwindle a lot because I'm a little stage fright, but there's still a lot. Um, my question is this: Over the beginning of you know this whole pandemic, we connected so much with Hashem, especially with the tragedies that were going on, and it was so public, and it was so you know yeah. we were able to we were able to get so much glean so much amuna from it, and then the whole world imploded, and it, we're, we're, we're practically living in a post-apocalyptical world right now, and I, I don't know the proper way to deal with it because. I don't know if we should be ignoring it and burying our heads in the sand. You can't, not, I, you can't even just not go on to the non-Jewish websites. It's in all the Jewish publications. And I don't think it's responsible to just ignore what's going on. And I don't mean to compare Chas V'shalom to what happened by the Holocaust, but people were saying by the Holocaust, they were led, they were led like sheep to the slaughter. They, they, they didn't do anything to, to try to avoid what was going on. But what's, what are we supposed to be doing now? What is our responsibility? If we're living in a world where the blatant anti-Semitism is, is so petrifying to watch. What wasn't acceptable even five years ago is yeah. just, it's, it's, it's so frightening. And I tried to protect my kids from it and I tried to shield them as much as possible. But what is the proper way? What, 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 what's our task at this point? What are we supposed to do?
3: Excellent question. I want to share something with you. In the middle of the height of the coronavirus, Bronx in New York was hit one of the hardest neighborhoods, the Bronx. And I was somebody sent me a clip or some some news report of a woman, the chief physician of the of the Corona Department, was interviewed one night. At the end of the day, there were hundreds of patients in the hospital, dozens of deaths every day. There was a shortage of ventilators, rests of ventilators, which they thought then is the best thing, and a shortage of nurses, and a shortage of doctors, and a shortage of equipment and a shortage of beds. It was just absolute chaos as those of you who remember New York in the first days and weeks. It was it was tight it was it was like unbelievable. It was hard to believe that we're living in 2020. And I watched this reporter turn to this chief physician and say she's ultimately responsible. How are you dealing with it? How are you not falling apart? And she looked at him, and she said words that were so meaningful. She said, how do I not fall apart? All my medical training over the last 40 years were preparing me for this moment. If I fall apart now, It was all in vain. And I thought, she gets it. And I say this to you and me and all of us. Everything we learned our entire lives, everything we worked on, everything we prayed for, things we internalized, there comes moments when you're called to shine. There comes moments where the best in people comes out or the worst in people come out. Moments... Shakespeare said, there are three types of people. There are people who are born leaders. There are people who grow into the role of leadership. And there are people who greatness is thrust upon them. They're not born great. They don't grow into greatness. Greatness is thrust upon them. This is one of those moments, I feel, in history, where everything we learned our whole life is for such a moment. It's difficult. There's a lot of uncertainty. This confusion, an old world is dying, and a new world is emerging. And that's called a moment of crisis. It's a quantum leap on many different levels. From a health perspective, from an economic perspective, from a Jewish perspective, as you said, from a sociological perspective, and perhaps from many other vantage points. The worst thing to do now is to surrender to mediocrity, to sit on the couch and kvetch. They say there are three types of people those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those guys who want to know what happened. I don't want to be one of those, and I don't want to watch things happen. You want to make things happen. This is the moment where you want to discover your great, the greatest version of self and become a leader, a leader for yourself, for your loved ones, for your community, for the Jewish people, and for the world. And I think this is a time where everybody must look deep into their soul and ask not what the Jewish community can do for them, but ask what they can do for the Jewish people, what they can do for Israel, what they can do for Yiddishkeit, what they can do for Hashem, what they can do for Kalal Yisrael, what they can do to heal the world, not only from physical illness, but from the timeless sickness of, of hatred and bigotry and anti-Semitism and racism, each one in their own way. Every person has power. Every person has influence. No person is mediocre. No person is small. We have to use our money, our pen, our mouth, our influence, our connections, our relationships, on every single level to be able to do what Jews were charged to do 3,000 years ago. You know what we were charged to do? To be moral voices in the conversation of mankind. To be the moral teachers who help the world discover their divine harmony, to help the world experience healing, goodness, kindness, and redemption. We have to be a voice that is firm and refined, a leading voice and a humble voice, conduits of the message we heard 3,300 years ago at Sinai. For every person that translates in a different way, but this is not a time for fake humility and for mediocrity. We have to seize the moment because with all the crises, there are also unprecedented opportunities today. The world wants to hear the genuine Jewish voice and we should not duck. We should represent our calling in the clearest and most emphatic and powerful way. You want to jump in on this one?
2: I'm listening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, let's take another live question, Rabbi, Rabbi Jacobson. We 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 got him loaded tonight, locked and loaded. Let's go. Next, you're on.
6: Hi, Rabbi. Hi. I have a question how do you overcome and recover from like eating disorder and body dysmorphia thoughts and the obsession to exercise being that being a, as being a religious girl when so many religious people feel that it's important to exercise it's important to be healthy to stay fit how do you find that balance between being religious mentally healthy and still staying fit and physically healthy at the same
3: time I didn't understand the question what's the contradiction I speak up a little louder I'm sorry I didn't understand.
6: Oh, because, but but it's still important to be physically fit and healthy. So, how do you like get over the obsession to exercise and eat healthy and be careful with what you eat if um, if it interferes with being um, mentally healthy and religious?
3: Well, I'm maybe not understanding uh, something behind the question, so that so forgive my ignorance, but it seems to me that not only are the two not a contradiction, but they actually completely complement each other, because exercise should never be an obsession. Eating healthy should not be an obsession. Eating healthy and exercise should, is part of our avoidance Hashem. The Rambam writes, and the Rambam knew a thing or two about halacha, in Hilchas day is perigimel, keeping your body healthy and wholesome is one of the ways of connecting to Hashem. Judaism doesn't see two worlds. There's the world of the neshama and there's the world of the guf. No. Everything is part of Hashem, the guf and the neshama. So part of mental health, part of being an oivet Hashem is... Hashem wants my body to be optimal and to operate on an optimal level. That means my adrenaline, my chemicals, the release of positive chemicals, my general energy level should be maximized. I should be able to maximize my potential as a human being, as a Jew, as a man, as a woman, whatever my field of, whatever field I'm in. So, We have to redefine these terms. Like exercise and eating healthy shouldn't be, oh, the Shatchan wants, my mother wants, my mother, my grandmother made a remark, my mother-in-law is not happy, um, I feel guilty. We have to go into a different place. And that is you want to live a life in which you are maximizing your inner divine potential because you are a God's ambassador. And an ambassador of Hashem needs to be in full form. Powerful, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and it all comes together. So don't isolate exercise or eating healthy and becoming an obsessive thing. I have to look skinny, I have to look good for this one and that one. Yeah, of course, we all want to look good. I would also like to lose a couple of pounds. I've been working on it for many years. But the point is, I think, look at it from a very holistic approach. Hashem wants a healthy soul in a healthy body.
1: Yeah, let's keep going, we got a lot more. Who's the next one? Baruch, you're on. Hi, Rabbi Weiwei. Oh. How
8: you doing? <laughs> uh, I have a question. What's Ravi Weiwei's opinion about giving kids, or for that fact, adults, pills, for whether it's ADHD, uh, depression? Is that a, a good solution, or is that just putting a Band-Aid on the Rabbi problem?
1: Rabbi Jameson, we want to give him some Chazakhaim, you know, a little artificial.
3: Yeah, okay. Um, I should qualify that I am not an MD and I'm not a psychiatrist. So really, I should say that, you know, ask the professionals and the experts. But, if uh, but, uh, but if I'm Jewish, how can I say that? Not have an opinion? Then uh, you would suspect that I'm not Jewish. So I'm gonna give an opinion after saying that I really am not the expert in this. But my opinion is not really rooted in, uh, You know, 50 years of laboratory research—more anecdotal, but I think it's more hashkafic rather than medical—and that is, these things are very, very sensitive. As a rule, we don't want to run to medication. That's not the way to go. Let's medicate the kid, and for a few reasons. First of all, every medicine—I shouldn't say every, most medicines—there's a price to pay. There's side effects. You know, you gain in one area, and you could lose chas v'shalom in another area. So you, we just we don't want to right away rush. It's always good to take everything into consideration. Not to say there's a problem, let's medicate the child. Maybe there's forms of exercise, martial arts, swimming, other hobbies. Maybe there's a pain. Maybe there's frustration. Maybe meditation can help. Maybe other forms of therapy can help. Maybe just being in a different environment, maybe the kids need schedule, maybe the kid needs sports, whatever, maybe the kid has issues in school that are not being addressed, you know, let's try to look at everything, let's also try to see vitamins, what type of nutrition does this child have? What does his daily schedule? What does his home life look like? Is there a lot of tension and stress and anxiety? Is the marriage of his parents on the rocks? You know, don't blame it always on right away we're running to medication. Maybe the house is just a very, very difficult place. So we want to address everything in the child's life. And then, when we decide it should be medication, it should come from a place of clarity and empowerment and strength. And the realization that it seems, al That this is the way to go. And even then, it shouldn't become, you know, the tachlis. You want to make sure you monitor, you adjust, and that it's not chas v'shalem having an effect that may even make a situation in other ways worse. So it's not, I wouldn't say negative or positive. I think every situation you really have to address it from all angles. Sometimes medication saves lives. And sometimes it's superfluous. And sometimes it can have an opposite effect. And I think we have to be very sensitive and deal with experts who look at it this way. You know, they're not, they don't just... It's very, it's very disheartening when you go to experts who are one-dimensional. They know one thing and everything fits, fits into that box. You know, I once asked a big therapist whom I know very well. I said, what's the secret of your success? And he told me something very profound. He said, most of my colleagues... It's very interesting. says, they have models that they learned in university. And every patient has to fit that model. And what if he doesn't? You make him fit that model and you give him a label. He says, I never did that and I'll never do that. I don't fit anybody into models. Every Every person is our universe. And I try on the contrary to take all my learning and to tune in to what is the unique condition and reality of this person. And it, it was a very refreshing way of looking at a person that way. People don't fit boxes. Children don't fit boxes. Every child is a chilek eleikam mal, Every person is a tselem eleikim, is a divine imprint. If you cannot see in every person a source of inspiration, it means you're not connected to your own godliness. When I'm connected to my own godliness, every person is inspiring. Because every person has the unique imprint of the Rebbein Hashanolim, every person I could learn from. Every child has an infinite gift. You can't just quarantine them into a box. And this, We have to always come with that larger, um, holistic, all-encompassing approach. And from there, decide if, if yes medication, what type of medication, how long, how much, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Let's go to the next question.
0: EJ, you're on? Do you hear me? Loud and clear. Okay. Rebbe, why why? First of all, I would call you Rebbe. I've heard um probably hundreds of hours of Shiram of
3: yours. There's one thing I hope double speed. I hope on double speed.
0: Oh no, no, no. You find time when you need it.
3: Okay. um my, I,
0: I have two parts to a question. My first question is, um, you express in many shiurim how in Pesukim, in, in, in a lot of places throughout the chumish how Hashem loves Kla Yisrael. and that's great. It's, you can live off that, and you can work off that. But ultimately, the Chumash has many, many situations where we bump into, where if it wasn't for Moshe Rabbeinu, I don't know what would it be with Klai Now, it was like... A, a referee in a way, pushing both sides to the corner, and let's, let's, let's shake hands and make up. So, how do you integrate that with saying that Hashem loves us unconditionally? That's one. My second question is Clay Israel came to the point where they made an eagle. Moshe Rabbeinu intervened and said, Akurash Baruchu, it was because of you that Klai Israel made the eagle because you gave him a lot of money. Yet today, we are struggling with Nahor, a lot of money, but we come with a package again where we suffer because we get we're, the shmuzim all over, the fact that we are, we are getting too accustomed to luxury, too accustomed to the gayim. So why is Hashem given to us again to an extent where we could suffer or we could fall to the test? That's my question.
3: Beautiful questions. Beautiful, beautiful questions. Okay, let me try to answer both questions. I'm gonna be very brief, even though these questions deserve a good, few good shiurim. So, al-Rishin Rishin, What do you think? You think Moshe Rabbeinu came to Hashem and said, by the way, you know, you're being a little tough. Why don't you chill out and relax? And God says, okay, fine. I'll have an iced coffee or an ice cream and then, <laughs> like, what's happening? Hashem says, I want to destroy the majority." No, 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 no. I'm the boss here. If you destroy them, I'm out. And God says, okay, you win. Again and again and again. By Ha'ish Yechta and by the Miraglim and by the Chet So Rashi already says that Hashem told Moshe, Hanichali, leave me alone so Vachalim, I can destroy them. So what does Rashi say? Kan Nosan Pesach. Hashem said, you will have to leave me alone for me to destroy them. In other words, If you don't leave me alone, nothing is going to happen. In other words, Hashem was intimating to Moshe that there is a dual plan here. If you seize the moment, everything will work out well. Hanichali, if you don't do anything, you leave me alone, then I'll be able to do my thing. What is really going on here? And the pshat really is, and this is very, very deep, there's two dimensions in our relationship with Hashem. It says in Zoyar that there are three knots in the world. Hashem, Torah, and the Jewish people. So the Mephar ask, it's only two knots. We're connected to Torah, and Torah is connected to Hashem. The answer is, it's a full circle. There's three knots. There is the relationship of the Jewish people to Hashem that goes through Torah. And then there's the relationship of the Jewish people to Hashem that is essential, intrinsic, unconditional, unequivocal, absolute, timeless, eternal. In the words of the Gemara in Kedush and Lamed banim." In other words, it's an essential relationship, like a parent to a child. Even if you break the Torah, our relationship, because there's always a knot there. Torah allows us to actualize it, to live with it and so forth. So there's three knots. So sometimes the relationship through one of the cycles, one of the lines, gets interrupted. And Hashem says, okay, we're not connected anymore. They have no schuskium. Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who reveals the deeper, intrinsic, essential relationship that was always there. So it's really two dimensions, and both are very real. There's the relationship that happens through Tayram. Without that, they're lost. And then Moshe Rabbeinu comes, and he reveals... The inner relationship which always allows the Jewish people to reconnect because they're never ever ever really disconnected. And you'll notice something, that the last words of the whole Torah are le'enei kol Yisrael. The last words, and what does Rashi say? What's le'enei kol Yisrael? That Moshe broke the luchas. And I ask you a question. If you finished Tziyam Mashas last year, Mesech Nida, Rashi and Toisvis writes that the Gemara finishes with something out of context to finish with something positive. Rashi En And the end of the whole Chumash ends with such a negative, catastrophic moment when Moshe breaks the Luchas. That's the end of the whole Torah. Moshe broke the Torah. It's a The Pshat is that that brings out Ultimate, ultimate depth of Moshe Rabbeinu and of Torah. That at such a moment, Moshe Rabbeinu broke the luchas, because Rabtzaddik Kayan says, and this is very, very powerful. He says, why did Moshe break the luchas? Why didn't you just give it back to Hashem? Why break the luchas? So Rabtzaddik HaKayan writes in Sitka HaTzadik, I think, Kufnun Dalad, Aiz Kufnun Dalad, in that zip code, he says something extraordinary. And uh, people sometimes, I say it over and they're like, what? How could you say this? You could look it up and sit, because that's how they, you don't have to believe me. And by the way, the Kamarna says the same thing in Kesem and on, on, on Megillah. And that, and the Sheh Mishmuel I think, says the same thing. Moshe Rabbeinu saw that the Jewish people fell down so low and he won't be able to pick them up. You know why? Because he was on the mountain. In order to pick people up, you have to be in their space so you can empathize with them. You could relate to them and then help them get up. But he was all the way on top. Hashem said, Lech You have to go down to pick them up. So what did he do? He broke the luchas. The Gemara says in Shabbos, Tafkuf uh, Dalit." people just learned it a very little while ago. Hamashabir Kalim hare veda veda Somebody who breaks vessels when they're angry, it's a form of Avodah Zarah. Says Reb Tzadik of Lublin, Moshe Rabbeinu, Loi Kam Navi Broke the luchus in his anger, Kevayachol? So he is now Kevayachol, Bedakos in a very refined way, Harehu Ka'ivid Oived, Avodah, etc. So now he's with the Jewish people, and now he could lift them up, and bring them back up to their innate holiness. That's how the Torah chooses to end all of the Chamisha Chomshat Torah. So both dimensions are very, very real and very authentic. It's part of the plan. It's part of the relationship. And both are critical to emphasize at every stage, every stage in Jewish history. The last point I want to say to you is about prosperity. Listen. What should I tell you? I, I am a big chassid of the (laughs) Jewish, we all are, but I'm a very big chassid of the Jewish people. I think that the Jewish people are amazing, incredible, beyond what anybody imagines, and I'll tell you why. When was the last time Hashem spoke to us, you know? (laughs) He spoke to us 3,300 years ago. (laughs) He told us to put on tefillin, to eat kosher, to celebrate Shabbos, not to eat on Yom Kippur, and another 610 mitzvahs that he told us. Then for a few hundred years, he spoke to us through prophets. It's been around two and a half thousand years he stopped talking to us. And most of that time, we endured tremendous suffering. And look where we are today. You have Yidin, who are stolz. All the questions here. I want to speak to Hashem. How do you speak to Hashem? I'm not speaking enough. I'm speaking too much. How do I give a deeper relationship? Thousands of years later, Jews are still Jews. They're trying to grow. They're trying to be better. They're trying to make a kid, shem shamayim each one in their own way. This is an incredible, incredible nation. Huh? 12 o'clock night. Yeah. I believe Hashem gave us prosperity in this generation. Because we were tested with every type of Nisoyen in the world. And in this generation Hashem says, you know what? I want you should have prosperity. And show me that you take prosperity and instead of becoming arrogant and pompous and selfish, you use your prosperity to help to build a beautiful world, to build beautiful communities. To build beautiful homes, to build beautiful families, to help people in need, to give tzedakah and chesed to do milahs chasadim, to bring goodness and Torah and Yiddishkeit and kedusha and godliness to the world. Do some of us make mistakes? Of course. Are some of us uh, pompous and arrogant? Uh, probably uh, two or three people. Do some of us mis- misuse our money? Of course. Should we try to mend our ways? Of course. But generally speaking. I spoke to uh, somebody who's uh, a Jew and he made a few billion dollars. And I asked him, why do you want to make, why do you make, why do you, why are you so ambitious to make so much money? And in a moment of vulnerability, he said, it's a good question. And if I look deep, deep down into myself, said, I like to have money. <laughs> it's, it's, I appreciate it, but I really, I want to do big things in this world. And I thought, you know, Micham I think there's a deep Kedusha in Jewish money. So I say, let Jews have a lot of money. Let Jews have all the prosperity in the world. Remember, we're getting close to the Gaula, Ot Ot. What do you think the world is going to be like? The Rambam says, V'chol maadanim Ka'afar. All the delicacies will be as common as dust. Prosperity will be infinite. So this is the preparation. To live with harchave and to use the harchave to build a Yiddishkeit and a world that is filled with harchav and Kedusha.
1: Okay, Rabbi Jacobson, we have a lot more questions. I'm going to try to, again to put on the speed. Is that okay with you? Okay, let's do this. My question is like this, I'm taking a little bit of a turn towards the kids. What could you advise me to stay strong and, and positive in a situation where I'm watching my own child deteriorating in Ruchnius and in gashmis on a daily basis? How could I get to the point where I say thank you Hashem and truly believe This is the best thing for me. Instead of crying and feeling so heavy all the time, I have about 10 questions in this version.
3: This is a painful question. This is a painful question, very painful question, and it's not easy to answer. And don't think that my answer is just coming, you know, off the cuff. It's coming with tears and reflection and thoughtfulness. And quite a lot of experience in this area and different communities and different situations. The first thing is, it's very painful to watch. Acknowledge that. It's not an easy thing for a father and a mother to watch a child deteriorating physically and spiritually. It's very, very hard. And give yourself a standing ovation. And I'm giving you for maintaining balance, balance perspective, love, equilibrium, and not allowing it to just overwhelm you and put you in the dumps emotionally. That's number one. Give yourself a standing ovation because you're going through a lot. This is a big test that many parents have today. As they say, from the best of from the best families, here I live in Muncie, in Lakewood, in Williamsburg, in Borough Park, in Crown Heights, in Chicago, in Toronto, in Yerushalayim, in Bnei Brak, in Stamford Hill, in Goldersgree, in every beautiful Jewish community in the world, Hasidic communities, and Litvish communities, and Yeshivish communities, and Modern Orthodox communities, and very Yeshivish communities, and very Hasidic communities—all demographics, all kahillas—nobody, nobody is exonerated from this. And parents are going through a tremendous amount. And I want to say to each and every one of you, you are unsung heroes, because I know this is not an easy Parsha, and a lot of you are doing amazing things with this test that you did not imagine would be part of your life when these cute little angels are being born. A few pieces of advice. The first thing is, it's extremely important not to detach from your child emotionally it's sometimes easy to detach. You're not my son, get out of my house, go find a life. Now sometimes it's important for the child to get out of the house, get a job, become independent. But never chas v'shalem, expulsion, sever the cords. You're not part of our family, you're a busha for our family. These children need you more than any other child, or at least as much as any other child. You hold on to that bond. You don't sever cords you don't because the pain of losing your relationship with a child is more painful than anything else in the world listen to what i'm saying and i know there are people who say they're not disown them maybe there are some exceptions 99.9% of cases khasismillah you hold on to these children and you hold on to a relationship whatever it takes conversations Go, go to a game, hang out together, go horseback riding, go hiking, go for pizza, just schmooze, have fun, listen, do things together, even things that maybe on your own you would not do, but it's so important to maintain a very deep relationship with those children as much as possible. Number two, don't take it personal. Don't make it a conflict between my child and me. I'm the father, I'm the mother. I'm a bentaira, I'm a Talmud Chachem. how do you do this to me? And you get angry at the child and it becomes a personal vendetta. Chas You know why? Because then you can't be there for your child. You're responding from your own pain and from your own anger, from your own frustration. It's painful. And it's important to have people to speak to. You could cry, you could cry to Hashem, you could cry to your spouse. It's important that the spouses should talk about these things very open and vulnerable and they should be able to share with each other. But remember, these children don't belong to you. They belong to Hashem. Hashem gave you these diamonds as a Pikudin to nurture them, love them, polish them, educate them, and help them. It's not personal. I'm a shliach of the Reboi Neshelaylam. He gave me this neshama to be able to love it, embrace it, help it, polish it, and make it blossom. That's my role. And in every situation... I'm going to find a way to bring in light into this situation. Don't come from a place of helplessness and despair. Every day is a new day. And ask yourself, what is my mission today when it comes to this child? And try to follow it. And never give up hope. you got to believe in the infinite light and godliness of each one of these children. Next, don't allow social conformity to dictate behavior if he comes here, if he comes to the Simcha, if he comes to the Bar Mitzvah, if I take him out of this school and put him in this school, what are they going to say? What are the Shatchanim going to say? What are the neighbors going to say? Such a beautiful family. All my kids made a sea of mashas. How can I... T- don't live in that space. Too much pressure. It's a fake world. They don't even care about you. You gotta do what's good for your child's soul. Don't Sell him and don't sacrifice him on the altar of social conformity. Next, depends where your child is in life. Sometimes discipline is the best thing for him. He needs a structure, he needs a discipline, and that's the healthiest thing for him. Sometimes it's stage four, spiritual cancer. And then you have to readjust. You have to know where your child is in the levels of deterioration. Because it depends how old he is or she is and where they are in their deterioration because the approach may be opposite in different ways. Finally, don't be afraid of being a parent. Children need parents. And parents are there to create guidelines and laws and structures that are helpful for the children. Again, Depends what age they are and depends where they are in life. So every situation is very, very different. But these are some guidelines and principles that may be somewhat helpful.
1: Beautiful, Robert Jacobson. Really beautiful. Let's take the next live question over here. We have about five more live questions and we have about seventy-five more questions. We can't cover all of them. We're gonna to try to cover as much as we could, okay? I'm
0: okay. um, Shalom Robert Jacobson. Um it's been I really appreciated your wisdom tonight it's been very appreciated um, my question goes back to your earlier words about loves <laughs> my, my question basically is that um, the implication seems to be that even if we don't keep up our side of the deal uh, up up to par at least um, he still wants a relationship with us and and it doesn't. We have a psukim of. A word, I don't want. A word. The Rambam writes in If you don't do a proper tshuva, the Yibamishem takes your your and he rips them up. The Yibamishem takes your mitzvahs. He says, I don't want them. How do we square that with your, your message that you're that's resounding that the wants that ava? And
3: even if you don't, even if you're not doing everything you should be doing,
0: you still wants relationship with us.
3: Yeah. If you look through every navi. Yeshaya, Yermaya, Yecheskel, Amos, Tzvanya, Chagai, Scharia, Malachi, including the Nevi'im we're reading now in the Tloss of the Piranissa. There are such sharp words, oigavalt, oigavalt. Never mind the Taychich of Kisav and the Taychich of But you'll see, at the end of every single Nevua, either after one Pedek or three Prakam or five Prakam, there'll always be a message. After everything said and done, as the chazal say, my arrows will end. They will never ever be obliterated. Why not? Why not? At some point, it's a breaking point. They call it the tipping point. You know what I mean? It's over! I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried. The marriage is not working. Get divorced. So the Navi says, Aye Sefer Imchem. There's no divorce. The Zoyar says, Loimaastim, Loigaaltim, Lohoferoysim, Lochaloysim, Zazoyer, Lochalosomksiv. He says, I am in love with them. The Maharal of Prague, in Teferis' Yisrael, I think Pedekir Aleph, or Netzach, Yisrael, Pedekir Aleph says, why is there no biography for Avram Avinu to explain why Hashem chose him? <speaking in Hebrew> is a biography. The is Moshe Rabbeinu a little biography. He saved people in three situations. Every person Hashem chose, a epist- biography. Tell me, Avram was a good guy, at tzaddik. Nothing. Why Avram? The Torah is silent. You know what the Ma- it's a Ramban's question. You know what the morale's answer is. If there would be a biography of how good Avraham Avinu is, you would think that's the condition of why you're a Jew. So if I don't live up to those standards, I'm not. Hashem says no. The relationship is essential because it's atzmi baatzmi. It's my essence is one with your essence. Said the Harim, "What Al He picked us up from all the languages. He said he lifted us up. Al There's no language that can describe how deep the connection is. On the contrary, the reason Hashem is so hurt by all the Averei is the reason why the Nevi'im are so sharp. The Navi Amay said, and I'll quote: 'Utsvanya.'" You I loved in an incredible way, and that's why every sin is a stab in the chest. If I leave the country for three months and I don't tell anybody, you're not going to get upset at me. My wife is going to get very upset at me. Why? Because we have such a close relationship. A Jew, when he does an Aveda, when a Jew disobeys and separates himself from the Ratzon Hashem, it's like a stab in the chest. It's my child. It's my spouse. It's the person I loved so much. It hurts. Hashem says, every Aveda hurts. Because the love. When you see this, you have to see all the harsh words are all coming only because there's such potential, because there's such beauty, because you're dealing here with a nuclear relationship. You're dealing here with energy that is nuclear. The Jewish people are the vortex between heaven and earth. They are the ambassadors that represent God in this world. Atam eidayinu um Hashem, the Navi says, you're my witnesses. That's where anti-Semitism comes from. Kill the Jew and you're killing God. The Jew represents Hashem. So the, the power, the potential is so deep and when it's betrayed, it's so painful. So when you see this, it's all part of that same oneness and love that vibrates. And it's a pity that people think this is my chiddush. <laughs> people always email me. You said in a she'er that God loves us. Really? I said? <laughs> I said, how many times does it say in Navi and in Chumash and in Chazal, this is my Kiddush? People think that the basic standard path of Judaism is that God's default mode is pretty negative. He's angry. If you're Mamish, an awesome tzaddik, then maybe he's going to love you a little bit. If you become like Avramavina, God says, okay, you're a nice guy, I love you. It's Mamish the opposite. Okay, let's
1: go. You, let's, can we copyright a few more? ever?
3: Jacobson, you're good? Two more. You're on. RSF. Hi. Um I just wanted to ask a question
9: uh, for Rabonim and maybe Rabbeim as well. Uh, there's so much to focus on in giving people what they need during this time with the, the uncertainty and the
3: diseases and the protests and, and the the uns you know uncertainty on political uh, you know things. And problems with connection because they don't have shoes, and problems, you know, with uh, with social issues. There's so much to focus on. Almost always you have to choose a few things to be able to get them across in the right way. What are the top three things you would advise a to give or to focus on building within this community during this time? Um, my question is more for a rav. Maybe uh,
4: the rabbi would like to answer it also with regards to rabbi.
3: Um, The first thing is Shalom bias, help people in their marriages. This is the key. Today, it is critical that people learn how to create functional and loving marriages. Find out what works in a loving marriage and what works, what's happening in a dysfunctional marriage. Especially when everybody's home and quarantine is uh, once again, at least in many communities, pretty popular, not everywhere. And people are with each other. It's so important that homes have a positive energy. And that can only come if the marriage is good. It doesn't mean you have to agree with your husband about everything. If yes, you're probably not Jewish. It does mean not that we have to agree. But we have to be here for each other. We have to support each other. We have to trust each other. I have to know my wife has my back a thousand percent. My wife has to know that I have her back a thousand percent. This is so critical. This is a time to spend time with your spouse, take walks, work out your issues, because it's a critical time and the harmony in the home is very, very important. That's number one. Number two is to be able to be there for our children. Children are going through a lot. We still don't know what the corona did for kids. Especially, I should mention, the impacts of technology. Being on screens for hours and hours and hours every day, even though we are now on screens as well, so I don't want to sound hypocritical, and I'm on a screen a a nice amount of the day, some of you know very well, but we have to know the impact of screen addictions, of gaming addictions, of all different types of websites. That's just something else to mention, it's very important to be here for children, every child individually to make sure they have what they need physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and this is very much for rabbayim especially, parents and rabbayim, educators and mentors. And the third thing I would say is, I say to all of you, don't be stingy with love. This is a time to empower people. People are facing uncertainty, confusion, economic stress, existential anxiety, religious anxiety, spiritual anxiety. People have faced a lot of pain, as we have heard from many of the telephones. Don't be stingy with warmth and love and passion. Every one of you can kindle sparks, embrace hearts, lift up neshamas, empower minds. Don't say, I'm a small, insignificant guy, I'm just trying to survive in Lakewood or Muncie or in Borough Park. To quote the words of Shmuel Hanavi, Imkata in ata beinecha... In your eyes, you may be insignificant and inconsequential. In the Reboi eyes, you're a prince, you're an ambassador, you're a leader, you're a king. You have unbelievable koichas. I say today, everybody has a shlichas today to empower people in every conceivable way that you can. Be creative with your love and not stingy.
1: Beautiful, Robert Jacobson. Let's take one more question and then afterwards we'll go to closing.
3: When is Tikkun Chatsoyis? One uh, thirty-two. Shani, you're on.
4: Hi, thank you so much. It's really nice so far. Um, okay, so I'm 19 years old and I still live with my parents in their house. Um, and for the past like bunch of years of my life, I was real, I'm really depressed. And have a hard time. Um, so far, I have the uh, so far I filed the approach of like um, medication, therapy, and everything through the years. Um, right now, I just like I'm still depressed, and I feel stuck. And I feel like the things I have to do for myself might hurt the people around me. How do I balance that for myself? and like hurting my parents or making the people around me like upset and fat. why
3: why doing what you need is going to hurt people what 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 do you need that can hurt people i'm just trying to understand
4: um moving out of my parents house um maybe taking being a little selfish here and there not helping out not giving as much just because i feel like i need to do things for myself
3: okay as long as you're being guided by somebody who wants you to be successful and somebody who's wise and kind and perceptive and respects the relationship between parents and children, then you don't have to worry about it. Chayech kaidman. Every person must first and foremost take care of themselves, not because we believe in selfishness, but because if I'm a shmata, I won't be able to help anybody. In order for me To be able, imagine a Hatzalah driver, he's driving his ambulance to the hospital, taking the patient to the hospital, and there's no gas. And he says, oh, I don't have time to fill up my gas tank with gas, I'm busy saving lives. If you don't have gas in your vehicle, you're not going to be able to save lives. If I don't have self-esteem, if I'm not happy with myself, I'm not going to be able to give to anybody. All, All I'll give is out of misery and guilt. So investing in yourself is not selfish. Investing in yourself is building a powerhouse of somebody who will be able to give and give and give more. Don't see it as a contradiction. Just make sure you're being guided by somebody who really cares for you, who wants you to be successful, who wants you to have a good relationship with your family and doesn't have some strange ideas about separating you from your family, unless it's necessary, if it's very abusive, but it doesn't sound like it. And then the time you're investing in yourself, figuring out your life, becoming independent, taking responsibility, believing in yourself, that's not selfish. That's things that are going to help you come back with more vigor and more clarity. But make sure you're getting guidance from people or a person who really wants to see you thrive and is not just busy, you know, t- talking negatively about this one or that one, but really wants to see you shine.
1: Beautiful, Robert Jacobson. Okay, let's go to closing now. We'll say some closing remarks. I want to first again thank Rabbi, Yossi, Rabbi Jacobson, Rabbi YY for coming on tonight and giving us so much chizik and some tonight. I have to be honest with you, I, we never had so many live questions. It was nonstop. I, I'm sorry for all the people that wanted to ask and are on the waiting list, and people that emailed questions we didn't get to. Rabbi Jacobson, uh, let me know when you're available. you got to come back for round two. We, we, we didn't come back.
3: Thank you. Thank you for the schusk. You, what what an unbelievable, beautiful crowd. All the questions, the live questions. I saw a lot of emails that came in. Thank you, everybody, for being so open and, and sharing. It's very meaningful.
1: At 12.02 at night, you have 520 people sitting here. You had tonight over 1,600, 1,700 people came out to the chair. It's, it's, um, it's mind-blowing to see this. I want to tell everybody here tonight that's watching, next week we're going to have an amazing program. Shalmokshar Bashan will be coming on to dis- discussing faith from the ground up, from beginning stages, how to really grow on high levels is going to be an amazing program. I really advise everybody to please come and join. Again, I want to thank all of our sponsors. Uh, my cousin Reb- Rechmel and Rav Kalea Jackson for sponsoring tonight.
3: Thank you, Rechmel. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Rechmel. And Schuss from his brother and from our cousin Shlomo and Ben Betzal, and Shemayim should have an amazing, a huge aliyah from all the hundreds of people that were mechazik tonight from the year. I think it was really. I think it was a tremendous chizik for me. I felt chizik. Menachem, did you feel the chizik? I felt it. Everybody here tonight should know that everything is recorded. It's going to be available on www.menachemburnful.com. We're going to send out an email to everybody who came here tonight with all the information. If anybody has any questions for Rabbi Jacobson or anything, please send an email to coachmenachem at gmail.com. We'll forward it to him and we'll be in touch with him. Again, I want to thank our sponsors, the advertising sponsors, Lakewood Scoop, for promoting us here in Lakewood. Again, to Rabbi and Yaniv from Chazak, always pushing us. And their program is they have programs for singles to couples, millennials, baby boomers, charged seniors. Chazak offers programming to all, and uh, please check chazak.org for more. And uh, Coach Menachem, please give uh, closing remarks.
2: (laughs) I want to thank you, Rabbi Jacobson. It was unbelievable, powerful, and clear. And um, from listening what's going on, you have people here who um, were thinking one way for 35, 40, 45, 50 years, and today they heard that there is... they could change a little bit of the way they think with the neuroplasticity, uh, the positive to understand, to look at it from a different way. And like you finished off, um, very important to fill up your tank. And uh, even before relationship with Hashem, what's your own relationship with yourself to stop thinking. It's not going to be easy. You know, if you're thinking this way for many years, obviously it's not going to be easy, but number one, to be aware that's the first thing to be, to be able to change, and every day, step by step. So thank you again, and uh, for everything you do, Rabbi Jacobson, for your Kuala throw. and uh, I want to thank everyone for coming on. Usher again for this beautiful job you did tonight.
1: I was try to manage it.
3: Usher's the best. You're the best. Can I give a closing, can I give a closing uh, statement?
1: Oh, I stopped it. The program's over already. Now we're just schmoozing. No. <laughs> Rabbi Jacobson, the final closing is you. Please leave the island with
3: Simcha, with Chizek. Yeah. I'm going to share with you a beautiful vart I saw recently, and I loved it so much, and I think it's very apropos, especially that it's the Parsha of next week. It says, We say it every every day, a few times a day. So Rashi says, What's with your whole heart? So one of the explanations is, I quote, Your heart shouldn't be in a fight with Hashem. <laughs> you should get along with Hashem. So the holy Reb Aaron of Karlin, Reb Aaron Hagadol of Karlin, asked, why does Rasha use the word Hamokim? He should use the word that the Pasek uses, al Hashem, why the word alhamakim, on the place, on the space? It's one of the names of Hashem, but why is it used there? And the holy Rebbein of Karlin says that there's a very profound message here in life. Lo chaluk Don't let your heart fight with the mukayim, with the space in which you find yourself in life. So much of our mental energy is often invested in fighting my space if I would have only been born to such a family, if I would have only grown up in Lakewood or not in Lakewood, if I would have only been by such a father, by such a Rebbe, by such a Yeshiva, if I would have only married such a man or such a woman, if I would only had such a family, if I would have these genes, if I would have these looks, if I would have these parents, if I would have these opportunities, if I would only live here or live there, then life would be beautiful. And half my life I'm busy arguing with my place, My geographical space and my emotional, psychological space. The beginning of development and transformation happens. When I could make peace with my mokim, with my space in life. To realize that wherever I am is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Because this is the path for me to reach my ultimate greatness and light. That's why Hashem tells Moshe, You have to find the holiness in the space where you're standing right now. I tell myself, tomorrow, next year, when I change, when this happens, when my kids there, when my kids there, then I'm gonna find happiness. No. Right here is your shlichus. Right now is your shlichus. These challenges, these circumstances are each opportunities for you to be able to cultivate your own deepest infinite light. And even though it's a difficult space I'm in, I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm dealing with stress, and I'm dealing with thoughts, and I'm dealing with pressure, I'm dealing with a marriage, I'm dealing with children, I'm dealing with partners, I'm dealing with whatever it is. That's the mokhaim. Don't fight it. Tomorrow, maybe I'm going to go to another mokhaim. A person should always try to improve their life. But if this is the space you're in right now, it's from this space, psychologically and physically, in which you're going to be able to discover your ultimate light and glory in life. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week, Sunday night, 10 o'clock. Rabbi, bye, Good night. Thank you.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net.